Hello everyone, this is Kayla, I am Kayla, welcome back, I should be welcoming myself back too to be honest, uh, let's just jump into today's case, so without further ado, this is Black True Crime. How long has it been? How long has it been? Does anybody know? I think I do. I think the last time I put an episode out was like December. Holy crap. December. Sheesh. It's already June. So yeah, it's been a good group of time. Welcome back, everyone. Um, if you're wondering where I've been, it's none of your business. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've just been going through a lot of life changes and dealing with I don't know what I really, I've just been dealing with a lot of different things, okay? A lot of stuff has happened, and I just needed a break. Is that okay? I needed a break. But I'm back, and I'm better than ever, and I hope you are too. Um, our country is in a state of what the fuck, but I am staying strong. I am staying positive, and I am standing with my people, okay? I'm standing with my people. And shout out to everyone that is showing love as well, that is marching, that is protesting peacefully, okay? Peacefully. Um, and yeah, let's just keep loving on each other. Let's get through this, man. Let's get through this. I don't want to talk too much about it because honestly, it gets me like really emotional. But if you guys want me to do anything as far as covering the story about George Floyd, anything about Breonna Taylor, I could totally do that. Just let me know um, because I don't want to flood you guys with more info than you're already getting. Any announcements? So I've decided that I think I want to kind of do this episode differently, I want to say. Um I'm going to attempt to kind of spruce it up for you guys because I did get a comment from actually from the girl that requested this episode because this is a uh, listener requested episode. She said she's tired of my podcast being so quiet. She said that I need to be more, I don't know, have more music going on, stuff going on. So I'm going to try to format it differently, see if it works, if you guys like it. If you don't, let me know. If you do, let me know because you know helps me. Alrighty, so let's jump right into it. This is a listener requested episode. She is one of our followers on Instagram. Her handle is singingnurse02. So yeah, thank you for requesting this case because I never even heard of this guy and it was really, really crazy. Kind of hurt my stomach in some points. It's probably going to do you the same, um, but it was still interesting to learn about. So let's get started. Between 2004 and 2005, there was a lot of craziness going on between the Lacey Peterson case and the case with Michael Jackson and the fondling of children. But one case did slip into the cracks that was just as crazy as all the others. Join us as we discuss the incestuous, inhumane individual known as Marcus Wesson. Marcus Delone Wesson was born on August 22, 1946 in Kansas to Benjamin and Carrie Wesson. His mother was Carrie and she was a seventh 
Day Adventist. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically a Protestant branch of Christianity that observes Saturday as a Sabbath instead of Sunday. Uh, she was said to be an intense Bible thumper, like, like real, real crazy with it, and forced daily lessons onto her children. She also chose to discipline them by spanking them, which the Bible talks a lot about, but she used an electric cord, which probably was torturous uh, at times. His father, Benjamin, was almost her exact opposite in the sense that he was not a Bible thumper at all, and he was a heavy alcoholic. He could never hold a job, so he basically just stayed home, drank, and molested his children. I think in some places I read that he quote-unquote flirted with his children. I'm not really sure how you can flirt with a child, Um, but yeah. There was also evidence that Benjamin was attracted to men as well. In fact, it would come out later in court that his father once paid a young man $50 for for oral, oral sex, I guess it's called. Listen to this. His father also ran away with a young male relative before returning to his family 10 years later. Let's take a break there. Live your best life, but you leave your family for someone that's related to you. That's insane. And this is Marcus's dad. So yeah, he didn't really come from the best place. Uh, as a child, Marcus loved to play preacher because it basically was all he knew. As we know, like his mother shoved it down his throat and he learned to add his own little edits to the traditional lessons he was taught to fit his own perverted ideas. And this is like starting pretty, pretty young. Weston was honorably discharged from the army in 1968 after serving as a medic in the Vietnam War. He decided to settle down in San Jose, California, where he met a woman named Rose Solorio. And I have to apologize because I don't pronounce names very well. Um, Rose was an older woman. She was 13 years older than Marcus at the time. And they started, like, I don't know, creating a relationship, hanging out. But eventually he moved in with her. And she had eight kids already. So basically, this is a grown-ass woman. She's living her life. She's doing what she needs to do. Um, If you hear a blender in the background, I have rude people in my home that hear me working but don't care. (laughs) So he moved in with her and her eight children, and they eventually had a son of their own. After basically living with her for like a couple years, I think it was like maybe four years, almost four or five years, Wesson impregnated Rose's 14-year-old daughter, named Elizabeth, okay? Now, at this time, I think this man's like 28 or something like that. Yeah, like 28. And in 1974, he decided to marry Elizabeth, and they would go on to have nine children of their own together, five boys and four girls. So at 15, he married Rose, which I guess was back then the age of consent or like making it legal. And he was what, 28, 29? Yeah, it's pretty sick stuff. In 1989, one of Elizabeth's sisters named Rosemary called to say that she basically had no control over her addiction. I guess she was like an addict and she needed Wesson and Elizabeth to watch her children. So, of course, Elizabeth said yes, because those are her nieces and nephews, like, of course. And there were seven of them, (laughs) seven children, you guys. So she took them all in. And at this point, it rose the amount of children to 16 in the Wesson home. 16 children. 
Now I'm thinking like the first thing in my head, I was like, how did they pay for all these kids? There's no way, 16 kids, there's no way. Well, Marcus never worked. And according to Elizabeth, they didn't work because quote, you can't work if you're on welfare. Which is like, yeah, but the reason you have welfare is because you're not working. So if you could, if you did work, you wouldn't get welfare. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, free money, right? That's how a lot of people think of it. So, uh, but even with the money that they were getting from the state, the children, 16 of them, hello, uh, they still went hungry. So they still had to go through garbages like McDonald's. I think they said it was, they would go through McDonald's trash cans and look for hamburgers and things of that nature. They also were like drifters. And this is kind of going back to how homeboy was raised. Marcus was raised because they moved a lot too. And, um, Elizabeth and all those 16 children, they would just pile up in a bus. They had a bus and a school bus and they would just haul it from here to there and everywhere. And they had to get creative with where they stayed. At one time, the family lived in a 26 foot boat in the Santa Cruz Harbor. Um, yeah, a boat. This actually got him in trouble and he ended up going to jail for a little bit because he was lying. Clearly when you're on welfare, and you have a boat, that's an asset. And you have to report that <laughs> um, legally. So he didn't do that. And he went to jail for a little bit in 1990. In the late 1990s, uh, the family lived in a trailer in a large army tent in the mountains. It's crazy. It was on land with no running water. So we're basically living just like animals. But I don't want to say animals but that is kind of what it is. That's how animals live on land with no running water. So, yeah. The Wessons also lived for a time in a 63-foot tugboat off the shore of Marine County, California. Now, I don't know what a tugboat is exactly. I should actually Google it. But, yeah, they stayed on something like that. And apparently it was decaying. Like, the bottom was rotting and it was just not a safe place. Imagine having all those kids in, like, that crazy dysfunctional mess. By the late 1990s, the children of Marcus and Elizabeth, um, they were old enough to work. So Wesson just sent them out to work. <laughs> and remember, it's the girls. He always sent the girls out. The guys would just chill at the crib, which made no sense to me. And he would just make them go make the money. And he would spend all their money. And he eventually saved up enough to buy an office building in Fresno. And that's where the family lived until the day of the murders. So a lot of the details wouldn't come out until during the trial and stuff like that because of how isolated Wesson kept all of these people. And I say all of these people, even though they're like children, there was just a lot of people. Like this is like 18 people living in a home. Okay. And I mean, when I tell you neighbors didn't even know how many people lived there, they had no idea. These people were so isolated. They barely left the home. Um, Something that came out during trial was the fact that Wesson was not only having children with his wife, but he was having children with his own children and his nieces. Yes, it's as disgusting as it sounds. Unfortunately, Wesson was grooming these young girls to be like his geishas or like his sex slaves, his little like toys that he would use. Um... They would wash his dreadlocks. They would rub his body, like scratch his armpits and his belly, which is so weird. And um, 
they basically had to obey his every single command. And they started as early as eight years old. Could you imagine? And I always try to force myself to imagine, like put myself in these girls' shoes and just see how traumatizing it is to be in a situation like that. And it breaks my heart. He was also brainwashing them on top of full-blown raping them. Um, None of the children went to school until around like high school years. Wesson just taught them at home using flashcards, school textbooks, and his own weird brand of Christianity. He taught them that he was the Messiah, and he started writing his own Bible, which I guess he never published, thank God, because what? We would have like another Scientology crazy on our hands. Um, But his Bible stated that Jesus Christ was a vampire, Yeah, so follow me. So his theory was that because Jesus died on the cross and gave his life, a.k.a. his flesh, a.k.a. his blood for us, hence the importance of communion. If you don't know what communion is, it's basically when you're a Christian and you are in church and you consume bread that symbolizes the body of Christ. And then you consume like red wine or like red juice or something like that to symbolize the blood that Christ shared shed for us. So he thinks because of these things, that made Jesus the original vampire. Yeah. <laughs> Weston even gave himself and his daughters and his nieces vampire names. His name for himself was, okay, bear with me. Jeva Marcuspier. God. It's a mixture of Jesus, Marcus, and vampire. Lord help us all. Not very creative, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He added some ideas that were already incorporated in other religious groups, like sexual abuse from the children of God and polygamy from the fundamentalist Mormons. Um, He also believed that the end was near and that the second coming was happening in 2000. I'm going to show a clip later. I usually show like clips at the end of either... Just like witnesses or news clippings or interviews from the the murderer, just stuff like that. So I'm going to show you something that has to do with that a little bit later. Yeah, so remember how I said earlier that he completely isolated his kids from the outside world? So other than being able to like go to work for the girls and stuff like that, they really did not have any communication with people. They didn't have friends. They didn't have relationship with boys or relationship with other girls. They didn't have that. Um... Weston even isolated his own sons from his daughters because he said he was worried that sexual attraction would grow, which it's like, naturally, that doesn't really happen unless you're in a situation or in like an environment that fosters that type of relationship. Um, But in my opinion, I think he did it because he was going to be jealous. Honestly, he wanted the girls to be basically virgins and only be intimate with him for the the entirety of their lives because that's how sick and demented and controlling he was and the way that he started grooming his daughters this came out later too viewers discretion advised if you don't want to hear this because it's kind of gross um he started by playing with their breasts and their private parts and then he progressed to teaching them oral sex and then finally just having full intercourse with them Um, This started as early as eight years old. He told them that this was how a father showed his love and that this was actually super normal. God was happy with it and God wanted him to have more than one wife. 
the girls were so brainwashed that this man convinced a few of his daughters to legitimately marry him. Like, have a little sermon, or sermons, have little ceremonies, celebrating. Um, they were happy, things like that. It was so toxic that he actually convinced them to be jealous of each other. Like if he was spending too much time with one of the daughters and not enough time with the other, they would legitimately get jealous because their father was not choosing to bang them more than their sister. I mean, I, I'm cringing, guys. I'm cringing. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm participating in something that I shouldn't be. I feel like I need to repent or something. This is fucking nuts. He did not allow any outside communication with the world, except for when the Waco siege happened in Texas. So if you're not familiar with Waco, which I feel like literally everyone is, Waco was a city in Texas where a group called the Branch Davidians lived in April of 1993. And David Koresh was their leader. He was a psychopath for sure. David led a 51-day standoff with the police and eventually... Six officers would die and 76 of his ranch members would be dead. This number included 25 children and two pregnant women. So yeah, clearly this man was completely unhinged. But according to Marcus's children, Marcus was obsessed with David. Thought they were so similar. Was like, David, me and you are fam. We're kindred spirits. We think the same. Like, yes. We're having relations with our daughters. Yes. Disgusting. Wesson then taught his family to be prepared to die if anyone ever tried to break them up. So if child services came, the police came, if anything like that was to happen, they would have a suicide pact. He told his niece, Rosa, and his daughter, Sabrina, that, quote, they were strong soldiers who would hunt down and kill family members who betrayed him and who might have to kill the family and themselves to prevent the breakup. Weston told his daughters and nieces that if anyone tried to come separate them, they would kill their children first and then themselves, and that he would stay alive. He would. He would stay alive to tell the public exactly what happened and why they did what they did. As if that's something that is important. Like, let people know I killed my children and myself because I didn't want to be away from my disgusting pedophiliac of a father. Yeah. I think another daughter would later say that they had monthly meetings about it. Um, like he would literally teach them like, okay, when it happens, this is what you do. This is how you shoot to kill. This is the type of stuff that he was teaching his children. And a lot of them were just un like kids, you know, very small, very young being exposed to this. So I'm not entirely sure if he was like sexually violating his sons um, but I do know that he was extremely brutal with his children, with punishments and things like that. I'm actually going to play a clip really quick of some of his sons talking about the abuse that they experienced. Um, I think his daughter, one of his daughters is talking as well. But yeah, listen to this really quick. I truly believed he was God until I was 19. The most trivial transgression, like sneaking a spoonful of peanut butter, could trigger the most vicious assaults. He found out and ripped the cable wire out of the wall and had me strip naked in 15, 20 minutes straight, head to toe, until I just, I beat me with a cable. Yeah, like a, like a whip. He would like beat me until I had welts, like actual stripes. A 30-day punishment involved 21 hits. 
on your person and then that's one in the morning then one in the afternoon and one before you went to bed uh, imagine getting that for 30 days straight you have to remind him in the morning when you wake up you have to remind him that he's going to beat you yeah you would have to remind him just ask him you know can i have my spank now that's what we would call it yeah, so he was physically abusive, mentally, sexually abusive. I mean, the whole nine disgusting creatures. So what happens next? It's heartbreaking, but it was unfortunately inevitable. When a man like that loses control of his situation, of his surroundings, bad things are going to happen and bad things did. Okay, so in total, I believe Marcus Wesson fathered about 18 children. And because he was an older man, a lot of his children grew up and were able to, you know, move out, things of that nature. Um, but their children were still being raised in the home with Wesson and Sabrina. And Sabrina is Wesson's daughter with his wife, Elizabeth. Um So when they were living in the home, remember, this place that they bought, it was a building right it was a commercial building and a commercial building is not zoned to house people it's not a residential premise so they had to vacate according to the state they were fined like a hundred dollars and they had to vacate the premises by like march 12 2004 i believe the date was and on this day ruby and sofina Sofina Solorio and Ruby Sanchez, they went to the Wesson home to pick up their children. Um, Sofina had a seven-year-old son, Jonathan, in there, and he wanted she wanted to get his, her son before Wesson took them somewhere because Wesson had already promised that, hey, like, you're not going to see your kids. Like, I'm taking them. When we leave this place, like, I'm taking them. You're not coming. Once you leave the family, like, you're axed out, right? It's so much like a cult mindset. It's crazy. So Sophina was able to get into the, the building or the home or whatever you want to call it. And she actually had her hands on her son. She had her son and she was walking out of the door. But Sabrina grabbed him, ripped him from her arms and put him in the back room with the rest of the children. She then proceeded to like push Sophina out as Marcus is standing there blocking the doorway. So once Sophina's out, she can't get back in. And listen to this. Sabrina is literally yelling at Ruby and Sophina um, to bow down and kiss her your master's feet. That's what she told them to do. And she's talking about, you know, Marcus's crusty ass feet. And he's standing there just like looking at them, pretty sure saying the same things like kiss my feet like who do you think you are all this just terrible terrible thing so i guess there were other people there and they ended up calling the police right so the first police car approaches around 2 30 p.m and marcus is very calm he's very cooperative he's keeping everything kosher the police aren't really even stressing that much i mean the most they hear is like a baby crying inside but that's not a good enough reason to enter a home um, and everything was going well, was progressing well until Weston just decided to close the door and go back in the house. And you can just, I mean, there's pictures of Ruby and Sophina and they're just crying and you can see them just 
talking. I think witnesses said that they were just screaming and they were saying that he's going to hurt the children. Um, however, police never entered the house. So within the next 90 minutes, a number of witnesses would claim to have heard multiple gunshots coming from the house. Okay. Many people, people that were in their home from down the street, people that were writing letters in the middle of all this happening and literally wrote in the letter that they heard gunshots. Like this is something that they experienced and police would deny that any gunshots were heard. They didn't hear any of them and they were standing right outside the house. <sighs> yeah. So and that claim was backed up by their chief, too, who I'm sure wasn't even there. So it was just probably trying to cover someone's butt, which police, we already know how they can be. So let's not even get into that. So about 90 minutes later, Wesson, he came out, right? But he came out with blood all over his clothes, all over his pants, his shirt, with just a blank, disgusting, devilish hideous, horrible, infuriatingly terrifying like expression on his face as if he's just taking out the trash. Nothing just happened. So officers immediately took him into custody. And I don't know if this is true, but someone said he told them to, quote, use three cuffs for his thick wrists. Like, that's a narcissist. I mean, I understand he's probably narcissistic in some way, but... Dang. I'm like, oh, you have to use three cuffs to cuff me? Like, fuck off. An officer named Eloy Escareño was the first one to enter the room where he found nine bodies piled right on top of each other. Each one was shot in the eye, in the eye. And the bodies were stacked from youngest to oldest, with Sabrina Weston on top and a pistol tucked in her arm. He ran to start checking pulses and realized that every single one of them was already dead. His fellow officers had to literally carry him from the room. I mean, I can't even... All those children. So obviously a lot of the relatives were already gathered outside and they heard the news of all of the deaths inside and many of them just collapsed um, at the house. They were crying, screaming. At least one woman was taken away in an ambulance. Uh, four women who gathered were actually mothers of some of the children in the home and Wesson was the father of all of them. I mean, just like he fathered all those children that he so easily just murdered and shot them in the eye it just shows that he had no he didn't care about human life doesn't matter he didn't care about human life authorities relatives and public workers suggest he fathered up to 18 children with seven women weston's other children who were not present inside the house survived the incident thank god the nine victims were sabrina weston 25 Elizabeth Weston, 17. Illabel, who was eight years old. Aviv, who was seven. Jonathan, who was seven. Ethan, who was four. Sedona, who was one. Marshy, who was one. And Jeva, who was one. Police also found like a bunch of caskets, like coffins you know like coffins that you bury people in they found a bunch of coffins in the home which doesn't surprise me because he thought that 
Jesus Christ was first vampire and like he was into that type of stuff. Um, but his wife Elizabeth would later say, like, oh, we were gonna use him to build something, um, you know, make money off of it. But they were also used when we didn't have enough beds, which I thought was incredibly just creepy and uncomfortable for children to be sleeping in coffins. Um, but yeah, they found a bunch of those there too. I'm going to put some pictures up on the Instagram so you can see those. By the way, guys, follow the Instagram at Black True Crime Podcast. That's where I put all the pictures that are related to these cases. And then I also give you like a sneak peek of what cases should be coming up. So you can kind of guess what's going on. Kind of weird place to like throw that in there. But yeah, Instagram, follow it. So as the police were canvassing the neighborhood after the murders, because they obviously need to get more of an idea of the Weston family and how things ran in that situation. Um, Some neighbors said that they saw and heard Weston in the bus because they had that big school bus on the property. Um, They would hear him after sunset and well past midnight in there. Sometimes the children would go in there and hold a flashlight flashlight on for him so he could work. Um, one number one neighbor said that he thought there was a whirlpool spa in the bus, which I don't know why he thought that, but that would be pretty cool. Uh, neighbor Christina Morales, she was 22, said she saw three adult women who wore black dresses working on the bus with Wesson. The girls did used to dress like head to toe, like in black and like everything had to be covered from ankles, wrists, necks, all of that stuff. Christina also said that she would see Wesson walking with the girls and like if they ever walked away or walked too far, he would pull them back by their shoulders or by their hair, which is pretty awful. Another neighbor, Kenny Isaac, who lived there for 13 years in the neighborhood, described the home's residence as weird, (laughs) to say the least. He said, I only saw the older woman. They would drive by and they would glance down. They never looked at you. Um, one neighbor said the woman typically wore black skirts, white or gray blouses, and black high-heeled shoes. And then one other neighbor said, her name was Barbara, she was 61. She said she noticed people arriving on the Friday that the murder happened for what seemed to be like a house gathering to her. But later on, she heard like screaming and yelling, quote, it wasn't supposed to happen this way. And that was actually what someone else said that one of the mothers said when she found out that the children were dead inside. So very heartbreaking. After 9 p.m., police were beginning a search of the home and also were planning to search the school bus. At 10.30 p.m., coroners began to wheel bodies out on gurneys. Um, It took almost five hours total to remove all nine bodies and some were so small that they were just put in like the little body bags and carried out in the arms of investigators to be put into the truck. Could you imagine how scarring that was for those grown men to be carrying such small dead baby creatures? Like, oh God, my heart. This is the stuff I don't like. I don't like how sad this crap makes me. Whew, okay. So investigators waited several hours before beginning a close examination of the house and the bus. Apparently, this delay allowed them to get the right warrants and stuff, which I don't necessarily understand because a mass murder just happened inside and on this property. We should be able to search anything we'd like, you know? But So basically, Wesson was charged with 
nine counts of first degree murder. Um, they tested some of the victims and it showed that he indeed fathered children with his own daughters and his own nieces. So he was also charged an additional 14 counts for sexual abuse and his crazy, demented, disgusting crackerjack ass <laughs> pled not guilty to all the charges. His wife, Elizabeth, I believe his niece, Kiani, and Rosa Saladio still stood by him and claimed that he did absolutely nothing wrong. So despite everything that happened, despite the deaths, all of that, they still stood by him. And I'm going to post a picture of Elizabeth crying her eyes out. That's the wife. Um, her children were killed. Her grandchildren were killed. And she's bawling at the scene, you know, but still supported this man because that's how sick they were. That's how much of nothing else they knew. Um, just traumatizing. So at his trial, which landed right around the time that I believe Michael Jackson was being tried for like, pedophilia and stuff um weston basically offered the defense that sabrina his 25 year old daughter was the one that killed everyone so he's basically trying to say sabrina who had an 18 month old son uh marshy he was one of the people that died he's basically saying that sabrina killed him she killed all her siblings and then killed herself ridiculous the murder weapon was a 22 caliber handgun and it was found on her body. Remember I said it was tucked in her arm and Sabrina's DNA was found on the gun, which kind of led, I don't know, made it seem like Wesson's was telling the truth or whatever, but we all know he wasn't. Um, or we may not know that. You may have a different opinion. They even went as far to say that Sabrina was obsessed with guns and even wore army camel paint on her face at times and she carried cartridges around in her purse like she was basically they were trying to say that Sabrina was Rambo and she went crazy and just shot everybody in the eyes and then shot herself in the eye like okay Rosa Salerio who had two children among the nine that were killed by Wesson okay remember Ethan he was four and Sedona was one they were both killed by Wesson but she still testified on his behalf she said that she still loved him and even still wore the wedding band he gave her when she was, quote unquote, married to him as a teenager. You guys, 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 you guys. Talk about Stockholm syndrome. Good God. Several witnesses testified that Weston had repeatedly coached the children to be ready to kill each other and themselves if authorities or anybody came to try to break them up. This is what led prosecutors to believe that either way, Marcus Weston was responsible for the murder of his family, which he was, because he was the one that primed them to kill. All of these young individuals, they wouldn't have just known to kill each other. Or, you know, Sabrina wouldn't have just out of nowhere said, well, this is what I need to do, unless she was taught to do that. Many potential jurors were excused from the trial after claiming to be, quote unquote, terrified to be in the same room with Wesson, you guys. And I don't I don't blame them. If you see a picture of this man, you literally want to cringe like it's he's very, very creepy. He's very scary looking. He just looks straight evil. Um, pictures on the Instagram. 
The jury took more than two weeks to deliberate. And I think they were more hung up on the fact that they didn't know if Wesson or Sabrina fired the fatal shots. You know what I'm saying? They weren't sure exactly who was the shooter, but they were able to agree on the fact that if it wasn't for Marcus Wesson teaching whatever he taught or brainwashing however he did, this would not have happened. So on June 17, 2005, Marcus Weston was convicted of nine first-degree murder counts and 14 counts of forcible sexual assault and the sexual molestation of seven of his own underage daughters and nieces. Weston was sentenced to death on June 27th and also to, I think, like 100 years or something for the sex crimes. Kiani Wesson still stands by her dad and how they were raised and even blamed the deaths on her cousins coming to take their children away from Wesson. So basically she was convinced that if Sophina and Ruby never came to get the children, this never would have happened. And I don't agree because we all know that Marcus was facing having everything taken away from him. And there was no way that he was going to let any of those kids go on without, um, without him. So yeah, that's the case for all of the officers. Um, March 12th, 2004 will become the single most traumatic day of their professional careers. Many of them, most of them actually had to go and see counseling, um, to try to kind of erase the images that they had of all those children stacked on top of each other, shot in the faces. That's something that you never forget. Um, so now I'm going to go ahead and play some clips from a interview that was done with some of his surviving children and his surviving wife, Elizabeth. They go into detail about how they felt around him, how they really love the man, honestly. They go into detail about their abuse, about the teachings, things of that nature. So just listen and yeah. She was definitely mentally defective. Mentally defective. I would have to say I think he was sort of psychotic, just mentally not there. Dorian, was he insane? I think he was uh, delusional and narcissistic. In a religious sense, did he think he was a deity of some sort? Yes. He's, definitely. Oh, yeah. He said that if you see Jesus Christ, if you see God, you see me. In fact, he was God. You're living in a hellish situation. Did you know it? At that time, no. How can that be? We were born into that and uh, we had no type of outside influence. I really looked up to my dad. I thought he was an awesome guy, no. You know, here I am, this, talking about how bad he is, and it just sucks because he is, you know. He said that I belonged to him when I was his wife already. How old were you? I just turned eight. Did it feel to you like you were married? Did I it feel special? Him. Yeah, I did. I believed him. I believed everything he said. Why do you think you believed him so wholeheartedly? I guess because he paid attention to me and he always told me that I was special, that I was, that the Lord chose me to be his wife. He wrote his own Bible. He wrote his own Bible. Yeah. And it did not get published, you know. This Bible is writing about, you know, Jesus Christ 
be a vampire. Jesus Christ is a vampire? Yeah, that was his theory because he shed his blood for us, so therefore we need his blood to be saved. And in his mind, it was like Jesus Christ is the real vampire. He preached that to us, and we were prepared for that. We had you no know, survival food, backpacks ready. We were like really brainwashed into believing that God would come in the year 2000. And when he did not, you know, we're like sort of justifying. Okay, it's a little late. The whole 58 day standoff they had, we watch it every day. My dad mentioned how similar him and David Koresh were. And he would tell us how much it was like our family and how he was Christ, and he really admired him. He just in love with the guy. He had multiple wives, you know, the same thing, you know, the charisma. And to me, I just see similar traits. And that's all I have for you guys in regards to the Marcus Wesson case. Um, I want to thank my girl again for recommending this. Her at is at singingnurse02 on Instagram. I hope I did a good job for you. Um, thank you again for this. This was insane. Turn my stomach. I like the cases that turn my stomach because it just reminds me that I'm alive, but they still hurt, you know? And when children are involved, I'm just like a big old sap. So yeah, guys, I'm going to start getting back to putting out new content and trying to just stay on top of that. I took a huge break and I promise to never do that again. That was, I'm upset with myself. If you guys have any questions or comments or concerns that you want to air out to me, please hit me up on our Instagram, MIDMs at Black True Crime Podcast, or you can send me an email, blacktruecrimepodcast at gmail.com, or you can visit our Facebook and write on that wall. Page name is Black True Crime Podcast. Or <laughs> you can call me on my phone number. I'm just kidding. But if you have been enjoying yourself, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening to this. It really, really helps. And spread the word, you guys. Spread the word. I'm so happy to be back. I'm so happy to be talking to you guys again. I can't wait to hear from you. I can't wait to put out more stuff. I just can't wait, okay? I just cannot wait. 2020 has been fucked in the butthole, and I hope it gets better for you and myself. So have a great day. I hope you had a fantastic time here at Black Tree Crime, and I will see you guys later. You have a right to kill me. I have a right to do that. But you have no right to judge me. <laughs>